Morning. It's a hearty good morning. Happy January the 75th. Amen. There we go. I want to I want to start by praying for many of you know the Hansons. Uh, so Chris Hanson, one of our elders, was going to be preaching today. So um, his wife, Jen, had hip surgery, and then on top of all that, they all got sick. So um, we flopped weeks, so uh, it'll work out. If you're, if you're following along real closely, if you weren't, you probably wouldn't have even noticed, but we just switched passages. We'll jump forward and then move back next week. I, that's why I explained that to you. Um, but in the words of Adele, you can take it easy on me this morning. So couldn't resist. All right, let's pray for the Hansons. Lord, I, I pray. They got a lot coming at them physically, but Lord, when that happens, we, we've all experienced, I'm sure, to some degree that uh, the devil loves to loves to do stuff in families when there's a lot going on physically. So I pray that you protect them mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I pray that you would heal their bodies and and give Chris, especially, a lot of energy and patience this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, when I was a youth pastor, I also dabbled in college ministry, and uh, a couple would always ask me, who was dating, how far is too far, right? What are the physical boundaries we should have? I mean, the number one question by far I got, how far is too far? Is it cuddling? Is it kissing? Is it this or that, whatever? What is immorality? What does that mean when it says that in the Bible, Matt? I always told him to go ask the senior pastor. (laughs) I did, actually. But uh, what he would always say, I actually got this analogy from him, so thank you, Pastor Don. Um, They said, imagine you have an electric fence, and there's tons of wolves on the other side of that electric fence. But you're safe over here. You're perfectly safe over here. Would you try to get as close to that electric fence as possible? No way. You'd stay as far as possible from that electric fence because you don't want to get electrocuted and you don't want the wolves all up in your face, even if they are on the other side of that fence. Stay as far back as possible and enjoy the peaceful field that you're already in. And so he would answer that by saying, no, you, you got it wrong. It's not about the rules. Yes, here's some good guidelines and he'd walk you through, but, but it's actually about your heart. And we're going to see in the scripture today that God doesn't actually give. Jesus, in this passage, doesn't give specific rules. Because he knows if he did that, we would just fixate on those and make rules our God. Instead, he actually gives them general heart direction and attitude. He's like, you need a shift of heart. And as we do that, our actions will follow. So, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at Luke 10, 25 to 37. Luke 10, 25 to 37. And 
And actually, let's stand for the reading of God's word. This will be more important than anything I say today. Luke 10, 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. You can have a seat. We have two characters here, two people Jesus and this lawyer who are asking two vastly different questions. The lawyer is asking, what are the bare minimum rules, Jesus? How can I get by? Like, what's, what's the rules that I could just follow these and then I'll be fine? And Jesus responds with this question. Where's your heart? What is your overall attitude? Now, this scripture for me, I got, I've been taught this scripture a ton, per, all of this scripture, the first and the second, but the whole thing, growing up in the church, I got especially taught by VeggieTales on this story, okay? If any of you know that one with Jibberty Lee and Jibberty Lot, and the one, one group has pots on their head, another one has someone else. Boots? Boots on their head. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You have to go and watch it. It's a pretty good one. They, they do a good job with this. But, you, you know, something that VeggieTales got wrong and something that I, maybe I just interpreted VeggieTales wrong, so haven't watched it recently. Um, maybe I just interpreted everyone who ever taught it to me. But either way, I always got the attitude that this passage was always about doing something. You better change your behavior, Matt. That's what I heard, okay? You better have time to stop and help someone, okay? And you better love God with every single fiber of your being all the time now, Matt. That, I mean, that is the tone in which I heard this scripture. But as I studied it, it's not a doing passage. Jesus' response tells us it's actually a heart condition passage. And our heart condition drives our doing. As Jesus said earlier in Luke, out of the overflow of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. So let's look at the lawyer. First question he's asking here is, what's, what's the bare minimum rules for getting eternal life? Verse 25 to 27 here, he says, again, then an expert in the law, that I'm just going to call him the lawyer today. I'll explain that in a minute. But an expert in the law stood up to test him, to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, I want to have eternal life. What's the bare minimum? Verse 26, Jesus says, what's written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. What bare minimum rules are there for getting eternal life? This guy, as it says, an expert in the law. He was a lawyer, but not the type of lawyer that we know. Praise God. But he, no, I'm just kidding if you're a lawyer. Uh, he's a type of law, lawyer that instead knew the law of the Lord really well. We think of lawyers that are supposed to, this is their job description anyways, I believe. Lawyers are to interpret um, the law and be a student of the law of the land. These guys are students of the law of God, particularly Genesis through Deuteronomy first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, it's called. This guy knows God's laws inside and out. And it's most likely that this particular lawyer didn't want to even know the answer to this question or any of the questions he asked. He was just trying to trap Jesus so that he could look better than him. He was trying to make Jesus look like a fool. He's not asking out of curiosity. And that tone certainly seems to be here. And he asked particularly about eternal life. What are the rules for eternal life, Jesus? I mean, even today, we love to ask this question. If you can, Matt, Pastor Matt, if you can just reduce everything down to the bare minimum, get out of hell-free fire insurance steps, what should I do? Answer sometimes we hear, hey, pray a prayer. And read the Bible and go to church. Hmm. I never found those things in Scripture, at least for getting eternal life. It's actually the wrong question. Eternal life is actually an incredible benefit of the life that is found in following Jesus. It's not about a destination. We get the destination, and it's going to be incredible. But it's actually about relationship. It's about walking with the Savior, and enjoying his peace, enjoying his presence in this dark, dark, dark world. And this lawyer, I love it, Jesus turns it on him. He does this all the time. Okay, so if you ever want to, kids especially, if you want to annoy your parents uh, when they ask you a question, turn it on them and ask them a question back. Okay, that's what Jesus is doing. But Jesus does it very wisely and, and just at the right time. And here's what happens. He goes, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And this guy answers with two spot-on answers. The lawyer is good at his job. He knows the law. And he says, essentially, love God. And love your neighbor. 
And he got it out of Deuteronomy 6.5. That's where you find love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He quotes it here. And then love your neighbor. He got that out of Leviticus 19.18. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. So this guy was able to, on the spot, take verses from two different books of the Bible and say them in, in, in a concise manner. Here's the steps. Here's the rules. This guy knew the law real well. He was good at his job. And he's probably thinking to himself, wow, I'm there, right? I'm in. I got it right. Clearly, this guy just wanted a silver bullet. He wanted a magic formula. Love God. Check. I know the rules inside and out. I love God. Love my neighbor. Check. I always help all my lawyer friends and their families. But let's delve in to the lawyer's heart. And we're going to see this in a second, but I want to tell you about it first. This lawyer's heart, if I was to just sum it up in one word, it would be loved Loved, question mark. This lawyer never quite was certain that what he was doing was enough for God. And so he was always having a question mark with his relationship with God. Loved by God. He was always looking for the right rule, the right formula, the right equation. So that he could turn that question mark into a period loved. Okay, good, yes, I am loved by God. See, punctuation is really important. This guy was actually pretty insecure. And this is me. And this is you almost daily, right? We're, we're living for the love and the acceptance of God. But the thing is, we're living for the love and acceptance from God instead of from love and acceptance by God. Do you hear the difference? If I'm living for acceptance, there's always a question mark. God, am I accepted by you? Am I loved by you? I'm not really sure. I know you died on the cross. I know you say you do in the Bible, but am I actually loved by you? I didn't quite do this right. I didn't read my Bible like I should have last week when I was sick. I didn't do this or that. I didn't, I didn't measure up being a parent or whatever. You, you name it. I'm not really sure today, and I'm, I'm not. Maybe tomorrow after I've slept on it or taken a shower, whatever, like now I will be forgiven, but but Right, right now. Am I really loved by God? You might think, shoot, you know, I, I screwed up. Well, God doesn't love me today, right? We just throw in the towel sometimes on those days and go, well, I'll just do it. I'll just do life my way today. I already screwed it up. Or we do the opposite and we try harder and harder and harder and harder. I'm really going to obey God today. Maybe earn that love back. When all along, if you are in Christ, you were loved all along. 
And you weren't just loved, question mark. You weren't just loved, period. You were loved, exclamation point. All along. It's who we are. So look at Jesus' response. He responds with a question. What is your overall attitude towards getting eternal life? Verse 28, you've answered correctly. He told them, do this and you will live. Notice he doesn't say do this and you'll get eternal life. Are you really loving God and enjoying his life? I mean, that's what he's saying. Do these things and you'll enjoy life with Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't say to the guy, hey, you know what? You're there. Come on into heaven. Nope, he makes it all about the heart. He simply says that this attitude of love is a lifestyle. You will receive life. Not not eternal life, although that's part of it. Yes, eventually, but this life is a new way of living, a new way to be human, a new way of living that starts right here, right now. You don't have to wait till then. The lawyer wanted a simple, controllable step. A plus B equals C. But Jesus gives a pathway, an attitude of love. Theologian Leon Morris says this, it's not what we do that's considered as a meritorious work that matters, but our attitude, if we really love God in the way of which Jesus speaks here, then we rely on him, not ourselves. This kind of love is our response to God's love for us, not the cause of his acceptance of us. Jesus invites the lawyer Come out of this soul crushing, joy sapping, formula rules lifestyle and into a life giving, joy filled journey of living in love where you realize you are, you are loved. So now you love God and now you love your neighbor. That's where life is found. Jesus' heart is loved! Exclamation point. Jesus confidently knew that he was loved by his father, so he had nothing to prove and nothing to lose, nothing to earn. See, we're always, see, when Jesus does this, when he, when we become his children, he says, you are loved and nothing can separate you from that. So you can now be free to push the boundaries of what it even means and looks like in your life to love God and to love other people. I love Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York, and he was talking to a gal in his church who wasn't a believer yet. She was just, just checking things out, and she said one day, hey, if, if I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. But if I'm a sinner saved by sheer grace, then there's actually nothing he cannot ask of me. See, she was actually scared to commit to coming to know Jesus because she got it. She understood, wow, if I commit to this, I'm so loved by sheer grace, totally unearned favor that now what's demanded of me is everything. 
We're actually freed to love God and others in a boundless, endless way. It's not, we don't live anymore for eternal life or for love or for acceptance. We're invited into living from acceptance and love and from the sure hope of eternal life. The lawyer in verse 29 says, essentially, what are the bare minimum rules for loving my neighbor? He says, but wanting to justify himself, he asks Jesus, who's my neighbor? Okay, this, this lawyer didn't get it. He's still trying to, it says, justify himself. This is where we see his heart. Where have I measured up? He wants to make sure, okay, I, I think I'm loving my neighbor as myself. I think I've already got that checked off the list. Now let me just make sure that I am. So who's my neighbor, Jesus? And he's probably thinking in his head, oh man, I love people who are Jewish because I am Jewish. Um, and I love priests and Levites definitely because they are extra special people. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but Maybe he thought this, maybe not, but if you would have said to him, and as we're going to find out, Samaritans, much less Gentiles, non-Jews, certainly not, but that's okay because they're not my neighbor, so I'm all right. So who do I need to love, Jesus? I'm pretty sure I got it covered, but I just want to hear your answer to make me feel good about myself, and, and I'll have the rules all taken care of, and it'll be good. And Jesus responds very differently. Verse 30, Jesus took up the question and said, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him, beat him, and fled, and leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had Compassion. Circle that word. Compassion. He had compassion. He didn't do anything yet. But he had compassion. Then he did something. Verse 34, he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine, and then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took him out he, he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And verse 37, he can't even say that this guy's a Samaritan, which shows his heart. He says, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus told him, go and do the same. Jesus answers with this. You asked the wrong question. Don't worry about who your neighbor is. Be a neighbor always with everyone. It's not about who. It's about you and your heart. Who isn't your neighbor, Jesus is saying. Verse 31 a priest walks by this guy. This guy's half dead in the middle of the road. 
and a priest walks by. And it's assumed here, but it's a pretty good assumption given everything else that's happening um, and pretty confident this guy is Jewish because he's speaking to a Jewish audience. So he's having, he's, the lawyer is a Jew, so he's having him put him, himself into the story. A Jewish guy, half dead on the side of the road, beat up by robbers. Verse 31, a priest walks by. Priests, their job was to offer sacrifices for the sin of the people. They were one of the highest ranking people in Judaism. They were of the tribe of Aaron. Aaron, if you know the Old Testament of all, Moses' right-hand man, he was the first high priest. So everyone in his family line, they were priests. Aaron was appointed by God himself. And so a priest, by lineage, appointed by God himself. And the priests saw him. It says that in this text. It's not like he didn't notice him because he was so preoccupied with where he was going and what he was doing. He saw the guy and decided to go on the other side of the road and pass right by him. Now before we all get down on pastors like Matt, 1 Peter 2.9 and many other passages actually tell us that all believers are priests now. So 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A royal priesthood. It's actually all of our business to represent God to a dark world around us, not just mine. We all have instant access to the King of Kings. Every time that we see someone that God is calling us to show compassion to and love on, every time we have that opportunity and we say no to it, we're being like this priest. Verse 32, a Levite passed by. Now a Levite is of the tribe of Levi. This, this tribe did all kind of the lesser duties in the temple. If you weren't specifically in the, the Aaronic family line, in the line of Aaron to be a priest, you were a Levite. And so you did kind of the lesser duties in the temple. But your role was, was still very critical and revered. Surely this guy would help him, right? But he doesn't. He also sees him laying there and passes right by. Verse 33, a Samaritan walks by. And last week I talked a little bit about Samaritans. Samaritans believed that the place of worship should not be in Jerusalem. It should be over here at Mount Gerizim. And so it created quite this racial tension, actually. The Samaritans basically created a new religion with, with a different history, different beliefs. And they were even known for killing Jews sometimes. Huge tension going on. Relationally, racially, spiritually, lots and lots of tension between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus picked a Samaritan for a reason in this story. Samaritan would be the least likely person in the world 
Not just, not just one unlikely people group. This is the people group that would be the most unlikely to help out a Jew half dead, and he does it. Verse 33, when he saw the man, he had compassion. Before he even did anything, some, another translation says he felt compassion for him. This started in this guy's heart. It started in his attitude. It's one thing to go, look, there's a hurting person. I will help them out. I don't really want to, but I'm going to anyways. And that's fine. But rarely will you actually help them out if your heart posture isn't already one of compassion, one of caring. But he does do something. His heart has compassion and his heart moves him to action. He took care of him. A heart attitude of love and compassion moved him to action. And it's not just a band-aid. Here, here, have a band-aid. See you later. Actually, here's a, just take the whole box. You got this. No, he helps him out, not just for an hour, for a good 12 plus hours and says, I'll come back too and make sure you're all right. Don't miss Jesus' main point here. Verse 36, who proved to be the neighbor here, he asks. And the lawyer knew it. It was the Samaritan, but he couldn't even get himself to say the word Samaritan. That's how deep this grudge was in his heart towards Samaritans. So he says, the one who showed mercy Jesus here is exposing this guy's heart and saying essentially, don't worry about who your neighbor is. Be a neighbor always to everyone who isn't your neighbor. Who do you naturally, let's, let's take it to today, who do you, and I want you to think of this and answer this honestly, honestly in your head because guess what? No one's going to hear it. It's going to be all right. Just don't accidentally say it out loud. You'll be good, right? Who do you naturally not like? We all have people. Who do you naturally not like? Maybe, maybe it's not even a certain person that came to your mind. Maybe it was a certain race. Maybe it was a certain political leaning. Maybe it was even a certain age group or generation. Or maybe it was a certain personality type. Who do you naturally just not like? Being a neighbor starts with being honest with God and with yourself about who you plain just don't like and maybe even hate. So you identify that. You be honest with God. You be honest with yourself. I've helped you get started already today by identifying that. And then you go, Jesus, you changed my stubborn, sinful heart and made me your child. Certainly you can change my heart attitude towards them. And pray that often. Jesus, change my heart towards them. Jesus, change my heart towards them. You're about to walk into a meeting with them. You're about to encounter them in some way or just see them across the grocery store. And, and you say, Jesus, change my heart towards them. I know this is easier than I'm making it out to be. I'm sorry. I know this is a lot harder than I'm making it out to be. 
I remember. Not that long ago, in fact. I, I plain just didn't like someone. They rubbed me wrong and they hurt me. Don't like them. Don't like them, God. But I started praying this. Every time I even thought of them, not just saw them, Jesus changed my heart. And then I would try to pray for them in a positive way, not pray for them in a, man, God, you, you should let them have it way. You know what I'm saying? I'm praying, God, bless their family today. Draw them close to you. Help me love them like you love me types of prayers. And eventually, slowly but surely, my heart started to change towards this person. It's still in process, if I'm honest today, but I've actively been a neighbor to them. Had felt compassion and done something with it towards that person since. That didn't start with me going, I'm going to really, today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to love them. No, Jesus changed my heart. Two vastly different hearts here. Loved with a question mark or loved with an exclamation point. And, and I want to invite you into the exclamation point because the question mark. See, we're never quite certain if we're doing enough to get God's love. And we're always looking for the right rule, the right formula to turn that question into a period. But if we are loved, exclamation point. We are confidently knowing that God loves us and we got nothing to prove or earn or lose. And we're always looking to push the bounds of loving God and loving others because that love won't go away. So I can love even more today. I love my formulas and rules, right dear? No comment. I do. If I do this, that will happen. Every time. They have their place. But even God's rules aren't meant to help our heart attitude. His rules are actually meant to change our heart. His rules are actually meant to lead our heart into a place where we actually have compassion on people and love people like he loves us. You know, the, the great commission is go and make disciples. The verb tense there is actually as you are going, make disciples. As you are going, love God. As you are going, love other people. And that can only come from a heart that's been loved. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Who you are or whose you are will drive what you do. First be loved, then be a neighbor. Simply put, be loved and believe it moment by moment. See, if I'm certain, if you are certain of who you are in Christ and whose you are, love for God and others will flow from there. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us so much that we never have to doubt that love. So I pray that this week, that's where it would start. That's where we would focus on this week, Lord. Before we, we start to have compassion, before we start to love others, and, and even before we start to love you, we would, we would just be amazed at your love, Jesus. 
That we would build our life on your love. Because it's not just a firm foundation, it's the firmest of foundations. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Help us never, ever to take that for granted or let that grow cold or stale in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.